When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 11. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal Season 11. Firstly, as usual, a huge thank you to everyone who's reached out following last week's episode, Hereditary Hauntings. It certainly struck a chord with many of you and we've received lots of emails with people telling their own version of apparent psychic powers that have been passed down through the generations. I'm still working my way through the correspondence, but from what I've read so far, it would appear that this gift or curse does appear to grow stronger with each new generation. So once again, a huge thank you to everyone who reached out. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can do so by emailing thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com or you can visit our website, thedarkparanormal.com and click the contact us link. And you especially may want to make a note of that email address if you wish to submit your true paranormal experience for Season 12. Yes, it's that time already where we start prepping for our next season. So if you've ever wondered if you should sit down and write out your experience, the answer is yes, please. As you know, we only have 10 slots per season to fill. But any submissions that we don't use will still find an audience on our Patreon show, Dark Bites. But what have we got in store for you for today's episode? I did promise you something rather special, and I do believe this is something rather special. You see, today's true paranormal experience comes from someone a little closer to the spiritual world than most of us. It comes in from a Roman Catholic priest who has stepped away from his clerical duties. You may wonder why I did not refer to this person as an ex-priest. Well, there is a reason for that, and I was educated why myself in the reading of this submission. You see, today we all take a peek behind the curtain, so to speak, of a vocation which deals directly with heaven and hell. And though obviously its key focus is on the former, when the latter rears its head, it can be too much for even a priest. But before we head into today's true paranormal experience, we need to of course thank our wonderful team over at Patreon. By joining our team, not only do you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also receive exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is released each and every week, 
even on the downtime in between seasons, meaning you never miss your paranormal fix. So by signing up, not only do you receive a new show each and every week, but you also gain access to the entire back catalogue to binge, which is over 30 hours worth of Patreon-only content. We've built our wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over on Patreon, and we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. Brad Bainey, Eva Patton, Gage Dehir, Rebecca Jusak, Sarah Purdy, Daniel Chapman, Sarah Taylor, Angela T, Renee, Sarah, Justine, Gregory Aquillo, Coco Marie, Danielle, Deborah Cornfield, Tonya Downing, Barbara Ferrandes, Katie Watt, Sheeny, Natalie Smale, Courtney Petrucci, Kelly, Lawrence Lee, Karen Haig, Jeremy, Sandra Nielsen, Elizabeth Fontsmark, Lavender Lynn, Valley Keller, M. Clements, John Pryor, Ryko Creative, Lynette Constable and Cole Smith. Thanks so much, guys, and I hope you enjoy all the early ad-free releases and, of course, the Dark Bites episodes. So if you'd like to join our wonderful team, head over to patreon.com forward slash thedarkparanormal. But right now, it's time. Lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and, of course, leave your disbelief at the door as we hear all about the greeting. I'll begin immediately by stating I'm going to remain anonymous. I promise you the details herein are 100% honest, with exception to names for obvious reasons, and that will become clear, and of course the location that this took place. For the purposes of my experience, we'll say this all happened in Birmingham, England, which is a location I served, but again not where this life-altering experience happened. Where I served may have given you the thought I perhaps worked in the military or a similar vocation. But no, I was a Roman Catholic priest. Well, even that sentence is not as simple as it seems, because although I requested to be laicized, and that request to be released from my clerical duties was granted by the bishop, I'm always technically a priest. This is because being ordained a priest is similar to being baptised. To a Catholic, it's a sacred ordination. Therefore, in the eyes of the church at least, once a priest, always a priest. Basically, this means if I chose to return to the priesthood in the full state, I wouldn't need to be reordained. It would instead largely be an administrative affair, just to arrange my reinstallment. Not that that ever will take place. I didn't walk away for love. You may not be aware, but even celibacy must continue after you step down. You can request for that to be overturned, but even for a local parish priest, that decision goes to, and can only be made by, the Pope himself. And the percentage of acceptance, well, is in single figures. Therefore, if you ever meet a married former Roman Catholic priest, they've either received this very special dispensation via the Pope 
or they've abandoned their religion. Gone AWOL, if you will. So, with me, from a Catholic authority perspective, and in emergency situations only, I could, for example, give the last rites, hear a deathbed confession, and absolve that individual of their sins. Once a priest, always a priest. But I'm not allowed to say the official Mass. I gain no financial aid through the Church. I have no official title. For example, although some still do refer to me as such, I'm no longer a father. I'm just Stephen. But more importantly for me, I have no parishioners to serve. Sounds selfish, doesn't it? Not very Christian of me. But I have my reasons. I come from a family of atheists, so it's hardly the career path that any of them saw coming. But I still recall the day I decided my vocation. It was the funeral of my mother's auntie, my great-auntie, I guess, although we were never close. Perhaps it was this lack of closeness that allowed me to almost attend this service as basically an unbiased observer. Like I said, I didn't really know her. I had no emotional skin in the game, so to speak. I only went with my mother as my dad was unable to go with her. And at 15, I'd never even been to a funeral. In fact, I'm pretty sure that was my first time entering a church. Even my mother acted like our attendance was a mandatory inconvenience, angry at the fact we even had to go. And she's bloody Catholic, I recall her saying as she got herself ready. They go on forever, these things, she finished, clipping her makeup bag shut and stomping off downstairs. But that day changed my life. The serenity of the church, the organ music, the smell of the place. I was in awe. The sheer emotion poured out by the mourners, and the priest explaining their tears were understandable, but wasted. As my great-auntie, as he put it, had simply been called back to God, and in the same way we celebrated God allowing her into our life, we should now too celebrate her return. And most importantly, celebrate the life she had and the memory she gave us while she was here. Of course, I had minimal memories of this woman to celebrate. But the phrasing of this lady's spiritual journey and the effect it had in consoling those crying in the pews blew my young mind. The smell of the incense as he gave final blessings was the final straw for my spiritually vacant young self. I was convinced. This is what I wanted to do in life to become a priest. Other priests I've spoken to about the reasons why they and I joined the priesthood have said that mine was a true calling, implying there was something divine in that church which touched me. Well, maybe it did. I'm still a practicing Catholic, and I've seen the power of the Lord firsthand. 
Ironically, it was my lack of ability to utilize that power that led to me asking the bishop to step down. My first parish was in a rough neighborhood, and there were times within those three years I questioned if I had what it takes. We had everything from collection plates being stolen to church windows being smashed. Every month seemed to bring with it some challenge or other. Eventually, I was asked to move to another parish, due to the passing of their parish priest. He'd apparently been struck by a train. Rumours persisted on whether it was a slip, a push, or a purposeful step from the platform. That priest was in his late 60s, and I, then mid-30s, had my work cut out trying to win over that congregation. You see, I've always tried to carry some levity in my sermons. Far from fire and brimstone, I always try to have the congregation leave with a smile, pushing the positives that true faith should offer. But apparently my predecessor was quite the opposite and commanded silence throughout the Mass before delivering a fire and brimstone sermon. Thankfully, I eventually won them round. It went from being ignored as I stood outside bidding them goodbye to empathetic smiles, even a, you'll get the hang of it eventually, despite being five years into the priesthood. And finally came the acceptance. They got what I was trying to achieve, this newfound relationship led to an increase in knocks at my front door. The usual requests, if I could say mass for someone in hospital, if I could hand out an award at the local community hall, and, of course, house blessings. It was at one of these house blessings that the first steps to me exiting the priesthood happened. I just didn't know it at the time. I'd received a note slipped under the presbytery door. A young lady named Josie explained in few sentences how she, her husband and newborn daughter had just moved into a home in the area and wished for a house blessing. I called the number on the paper and arranged to go around that coming Thursday evening. House blessings are an exceptionally common request. Most Catholics, if practising, will request one if they move into a new home. Although a Hollywood would have you think differently, there doesn't need to be anything paranormal or untoward happening for a house blessing to take place. Some people just feel it clears the space, removing, to them at least, any traces of past tenants and allowing them to make a fresh start in their new abode. Well, this wasn't the case with Josie. There was a bad vibe as soon as I set foot in the place. Josie nervously welcomed me and explained her daughter was asleep in the cot in the living room and that her husband had gone down the pub. She anxiously laughed. He thinks it's all nonsense. Sorry, father. I smiled back. Not a Catholic, then. What? She replied. Then, oh, sorry, um, no, he's not, he's not. I, I meant he thinks what's happening here is all nonsense. 
Josie was clearly agitated. She had bruises on her arms and wrists. I sensed from the overall picture that they were down to her husband. Noticing I'd noticed, she pulled down the sleeves of her cardigan and rubbed her arm. Upstairs, someone walked across the landing. We both looked upstairs and paused. Is there someone... I didn't get a finish due to Josie's frantic shaking of her head. I forced an anxious smile and said, New houses have new sounds we're just not accustomed to sometimes. She half smiled back. I'll start upstairs, actually, I said. Anywhere in particular you want me to stay away from? Again, she shook her head. There was a yet-to-be-fitted baby gate laying on the stairs, which I stretched to step over. I stopped midway up the stairs and said, You can carry on about your day, I shouldn't be too long. She smiled and nodded. I turned and began to climb the stairs. When she reached through the banister and grabbed my ankle. Or at least, I thought she did. But when I turned my head down to see what she wanted, I could see she was already sitting in the living room. Nothing was around or even near my ankle which could have given a similar effect. A sense of fear crept in. Not something I was used to. At that time, at least. I cleared my throat and straightened my back. A sincere attempt to calm myself. I took a calming breath and continued up the stairs. As I reached the landing area, the first room was the bathroom on the left. I usually would work in a clockwise direction, from a room perspective, when blessing the upstairs of a residence. It was a small bathroom, even for a small family. A smell of damp was in the air as I began my... Startled by the sound, I turned my head to see the shower had come on. This wasn't an electric press-one-button type of job either. This was a metal hose connected to the taps, with a stop tap in the middle of the taps, meaning if you wanted water to pour from the taps, you pushed the stop tap down, and you would lift it up if you wanted the water to be diverted to the shower head. But either way, the taps needed to be turned on, physically. I didn't recall hearing either tap turn before hearing the... I'm so sorry, Father. Josie burst past me, plunging down the stop tap to turn off the shower and then frantically turning the taps to cease the flow of water. That happens once or twice a day, said Josie, nodding towards the bath as she stepped back to my side. Could, could, Could it be a plumbing issue, maybe? I asked. But here's the thing, and I recall this sensation vividly. As I awaited her response, my heart pounded like I'd never experienced in my life. An innate, almost primal sense of danger. Later on, you'll hear about the certain type of clergy I was in the circle of. 
but they all have their own tales like this. They all recall the first moment they experienced what they termed the greeting. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The greeting, you may ask? Well, that's a term which my clergy friends used to mean the moment you are made aware of the presence of a spiritually malevolent force for the first time. That moment where, even for a priest, your mind spins and you question everything. Because here is the thing... Being a priest relies inherently on belief. For example, the Eucharist, the breaking of bread and drinking of wine which happens during a standard Mass. A priest believes there is an actual transformation of these worldly items into the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. However, physically, in front of your own eyes, the bread does not become flesh, and the wine certainly doesn't become blood. A priest, however, believes even though there is no physical and visible change, the transformation has taken place. The entire principle is that Christ does not need to physically prove his existence. 
However, the devil does. Or at least, he relishes it. He takes pride in showing what he can do at will on earth. Even as a priest, 99% of the time, the closest that we feel the presence of Christ is through emotional, spiritually uplifting experiences. The greeting, on the other hand, is a brick through the window of your reality up to that point. It both gives you an awareness of the devil's work and reaffirms your faith in the power and love of the Lord. We've had a plumber out and he said it's fine, said Josie, biting her nail. I went through the blessing quicker than usual, still trying to understand what I'd experienced. But as I stood in the hallway packing my things together, Josie passed me her coat and the very real image of her bruised arms snapped me back to reality. Josie, I'm concerned about those bruises, I said softly. She didn't reply. She just froze. Did your husband do that to you? Josie slowly nodded, but quickly smiled and said, Alan has a bit of a temper, but he'd never hit me. I took my coat and began putting it on. He might grab me now and again. Th that's what these are. She pointed to the bruises. I slowly nodded. Josie, do, do you feel safe here? Josie paused and then she shook her head. As I was about to begin discussing the steps we could take, police involvement, support from domestic abuse counsellors, she took a step towards me leant in and whispered, Not because of Alan, though. Behind her, I watched as a pan bounced across the tiled kitchen floor. She sighed and smiled and said, In fairness, I don't think I put that away straight. I smiled back and opened the front door. Well, if you need any help for anything, you know where I am, I said. Josie nodded and headed for the kitchen as I made my way out of the house. As I turned to close the door, Josie had her back to me. She was wearing a top which had an exposed back, save for a few straps, and I noticed she had a large, deep scratch from the nape of her neck straight across her back in a diagonal line towards the right. I paused debating whether to say something before deciding against it and closing the door and heading home. There are moments in life that I truly believe are glimpses of God's work, glances behind the curtain, so to speak. If synchronicity is beyond coincidence, then these moments are beyond synchronicity, or synchronicities bursting with guidance and purpose. One such moment came that very night. I arrived home to an email sent via the bishop's office, asking for priests to apply to travel to Rome to join the IAOE, better known as the International Association of Exorcists. It would be a three-week course to become trained as an exorcist, 
Apparently, the current diocese exorcist was due to retire in the upcoming year, and therefore, as each Roman Catholic diocese is required to have at least one trained exorcist in their ranks, the diocese was seeking candidates willing to take up the task. After the day I just had, I replied there and then to show my interest. Apparently, only two priests in this rather large diocese applied, myself and an older priest, who I'll call Father Mulvaney. I was pretty sure he would get it over me. What with a combination of time served and a greater knowledge of the diocese, and ignoring the fact he looked like an exorcist, but whatever I said in my discussion with the bishop must have had an effect, because three months later, I was on my return flight from Rome, officially the exorcist for the diocese. I'm not too sure what I expected on my return, perhaps access to an inbox of correspondence of the possessed and damned throughout the diocese, but no, pretty much everything remained the same. My second day back, Suzanne, one of the ladies who arranged the flowers for the church and watered my plants whilst I was away, knocked on my door and explained with a very serious and concerned face that she would visit the parochial house after work every other evening to water said plants. And each time she did, a dishevelled and gaunt-looking young woman would knock, saying she noticed the lights were on and wondering if I was home. I knew it was Josie before Suzanne blurted out, she said her name is Josie and she needs your help. I called Josie's number that evening. No reply. I was on tenterhooks all evening expecting her to rap at the door. But she didn't come. The following morning was bright and warm, so I walked to Josie's home, and I knocked on the door. What the fuck do you want? Ah, this must be Alan. He didn't look in the mood for conversation either. His left eye black and blue, and relatively fresh claw marks on his cheek. And, oh dear, I was in civilian clothes, just about to ask him where his wife was. This could go badly, I thought. Hi, I'm Father Stephen, the parish priest, I quickly blurted out. And... Move out of the way, Alan, said a clearly embarrassed Josie, elbowing him back into the house, much to my relief. Are you OK? I asked. Suzanne said you'd been around a few times whilst I was gone. To my left, I noticed the curtain was pulled back by Alan, looking on as Josie closed over the front door and stepped down to the path. But... Alan wasn't looking aggressively. He wasn't even looking at me. He was looking at Josie, like he was waiting for her to do something. I'm fine now, smiled Josie. How was a Rome? Yeah, fine, I replied. Listen, are you sure everything's okay with you, with the baby? 
her head tilted slightly to one side, like a dog trying to gain a different perspective. And then, with a confused face, she said, What part of I'm fine don't you fucking understand, Leonard? She then straightened her head and smiled. Ah, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed your trip, Father. I'll be seeing you, okay? I nodded back, bewildered, and headed out onto the street. That feeling came back. The one my trainer in Rome referred to as the greeting. I slowly walked away, my head spinning. Leonard. That was my middle name. I never used it. Not unless for something required legally and written down. How did she... Father? It was Alan. I'm sorry about just then. He breathed heavily. Listen, she's not right. Something's... something's in her. Something's... got her. He pulled at the polar neck of his jumper. See this? There was a purple bruised handprint on his neck. The other night she lifted me against the wall, one-handed like this. He gestured, lifting someone with his hand. And she just started growling at me. Then the clock flew off the mantelpiece and caught me right here. He pointed at his bruised eye. Then the next night, we're in the kitchen, and she's cooking dinner, you know, and we're just chatting about stuff. Anyway, mid-sentence, she stops and turns round, walks over and just claws me face. He points to his cheek. No expression on her face. Her eyes just glazed over. Then she walks back to the oven and carries on talking like nothing's happened, completely oblivious. You've got to do something. I nodded, taking in this information and the sight of this clearly troubled, albeit abusive man, asking for my help. Trying to think clearly and recalling my training, I asked if she was on any medication or had any mental health concerns. Alan shook his head to both. No? Oh, no? Oh, yeah, but she can fucking speak French now. Out of nowhere. I'm sorry for swearing, father. Don't worry, I said. What do you mean? I mean, she doesn't speak other languages. She struggles with bloody English. But I'd done French at school, so I know what it sounds like. And the other morning, I listened to her outside the baby's room, and she was talking to her for about 20 minutes in full-blown French. I mean... He shrugged. What do you make of that? I involuntarily shrugged back, but my mind was everywhere. In Rome, we learned there are certain tells in regards to genuine possession. Knowledge of the unknown, supernatural strength, and talking in languages previously unknown to the individual are some of them. And if Alan was telling the truth... Plus her calling me Leonard. Well, everything was pointing in one direction. But I needed guidance, quickly. I made an excuse and said I'd be in touch, and I speedily headed home, 
making an urgent appointment with the bishop. As is the way, only a bishop can authorise an exorcism, and only after thorough medical and psychoanalytical checks have taken place. My problem was, I didn't believe Josie would be open to such tests, and this I explained in depth to the bishop during our meeting together. When I finished, the bishop nodded to himself for some time, fingers steepled. Confession, then. Sorry, I replied. Try and get her to go to confession. Penance is as good as any exorcism, and much less paperwork. Seriously? I thought to myself. What was the point in sending me to Rome, then? But I found myself saying, OK, I'll try. I called Josie's number and she picked up straight away. She sounded like her usual self, and when I suggested she come over to the house for a chat, she seemed excited, privileged almost, and said she would come over that afternoon. I kept staring out of the window, waiting for her arrival rehearsing my words to convince her to go to confession. Maybe she would just agree, and I was overthinking things. I heard the front gate go and watched Josie push her pram up the path. I hurried to the door to greet them. Ah, hello, Josie, and who's this little one? I asked, smiling and leaning into the pram. This is Alice. Say hello, Alice said Josie. The baby seemed content enough, though, chewing on whatever toy was in its mouth. Please, come inside. Would you like a tea? I asked. Yes, please, father, she smiled, putting the brake on the pram and getting Alice out to hold her. Go on through to the living room. I'll be in in a second. I headed to the kitchen and made a pot of tea, placing it on a tray with cups, milk and sauces and an array of biscuits, and headed back into the living room. I must say that... I dropped the tray, because stood in the centre of my living room was Josie, her eyes glazed over, pupils wide and black, and above her head, holding her up with both arms like an offering, was Alice. Calm as you like, still chewing her toy. Josie! I gestured with my hands for her to calm down. Put Alice down gently and let's talk. Josie slowly looked down at my glass coffee table to her right. Shall I drop her onto that? See what happens. She smiled. I didn't recognise her voice. There was a pause... I was frozen with indecision. Panic set in. Unadulterated panic. Josie, please. I took the faintest of steps forward. Josie began growling at me. My coffee table moved by itself to block my path. Josie, please stop. I begged. And it's then I noticed she had bloodstains on the front of her T-shirt. I quickly glanced back and forth between Josie and Alice to see if Alice was hurt in any way, which she didn't appear to be. I felt faint. 
I dropped to my knees, closed my eyes, and began praying to Our Lady over and over and over. Eventually, a hand touched my shoulder, and I jumped. Father, are you okay? What's wrong? It was Josie. She was now her normal self. Alice was sat on the floor, undisturbed, chewing that same toy. I faked a smile as best I could and nodded, standing but shaking. I said I wasn't feeling too good and maybe they should come back another time. In truth, I'd never felt so out of my depth in all my life. Josie nodded with a genuine concern and placed Alice back in her pram and headed off down the path. I closed the front door and slumped against it. I cried for what felt like hours. I'd never felt so lost. The priesthood can be like any other layman job. You still want to impress your boss, prove yourself worthy. And so the next day, I formed a new plan. I was going to confidently tell Josie that she needed to come to confession and let the cards fall where they may. That afternoon, I drove to Josie's home. I brought along a fellow priest with me, one who had the ear of the bishop more than most. Just in case Josie turned and I would have a reputable witness. Turning the car onto her road, I immediately noticed the police present. Crime scene tape. A forensic van. My heart was in my mouth. Parking across the street, we introduced ourselves to the officer in charge. Thankfully, we were collared up at the time. I asked what happened, but he said he wasn't allowed to disclose any information. I explained my reasoning for being there and that Josie had been to my house the previous day. At this, he asked me to wait a moment before radioing someone and then asked if I could head to the station to make a statement, which of course I agreed to do. I dropped my now clearly baffled fellow priest back home before heading to the station where I was shown to an interview room by a young detective. After a series of questions about Josie's visit, all of which I answered truthfully, with the exception of the table moving of its own accord, of course, the detective divulged what had taken place. It appears that, prior to Josie's arrival at my home, she had repeatedly stabbed Alan in the stomach, before placing Alice in her pram and strolling to my house. Alan apparently made it to a neighbour who called an ambulance and the police. He was now in hospital, in an induced coma, but lucky to be alive. Josie was in custody and Alice was in the care of relatives. Shocked, tired and feeling like a failure, I headed back home. I couldn't help but feel like I'd let Josie down and let her down badly. Maybe it was this feeling of guilt or maybe it was the work of the devil but either way, Josie started visiting me. Yes, she was locked behind bars 
but she started visiting me. First in dreams, then in waking life. She would stand at the back of the church whilst I conducted mass, always in that glazed state, always smiling, always staring. Then she began appearing at the foot of my bed in the middle of the night, disappearing after a second or two. I spiralled further and further. The day I knew I could no longer serve was during someone's confession. I remember thinking, I can't absolve you. My link with him is tarnished. So eventually I asked to meet the bishop and requested my stepping down as a working priest. I explained my reasoning, the trauma I felt, and in fairness he stated that he understood. But he did say maybe this was the devil's intention all along, to have one less adversary to face. And perhaps he was right. I do know that at the end of our meeting, the bishop, through confession, absolved me of my sins, and in doing so, rid me of the visits from Josie. So it turns out the bishop was right in drawing comparisons with exorcism and confession. I'm proud to have served the church, and I'm not ashamed to say that I wasn't strong enough in the face of pure evil. Kind regards, Stephen. Wow. Stephen, thank you beyond words for sending in your true paranormal experience. And as a lapsed Roman Catholic myself, reading your story out kind of gave me the feeling I should head back to church. Although I know that's probably unlikely. What I will say is throughout the recording of this entire experience, there has been a certain sensation and I can't describe it. I'm not just saying this for effect, with this being a paranormal podcast, but recording this particular episode has felt like I've done it with someone watching. I don't even mean a negative or ominous presence, neither good nor bad, but it is rather unsettling when you know you're the only one in the entire building. And it's definitely not something I've experienced before. It's kind of made me eager to wrap up this episode, so that's what I'm going to do. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you on Sunday for another instalment of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll see you next Friday for Episode 8 of Season 11. Until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door, and I'll see you next time, here, on The Dark Paranormal.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.